0: I hope that um, for the time of prayer and the time of just beginning uh, our space today that, uh, that you feel like we've been able to join many around the world. Again, there are, there are peace-loving people um, in faith traditions around the world, and we are joining them in, um, in praying an end to violence, in acting toward an end to violence. Um, thank you, Kezi and Beth, for kind of beginning us there, and the words of Valerie Kaur, uh, who helped us to pray this morning. Um, as uh, as we have been talking about, um, we're, our, our church right now, uh, the theme that we're leaning into is a discussion of societal burnout. And certainly when massive things are in the news that sort of uh, wrench us from the work that's right in front of us on a laptop or something like that, uh, we realize just how burnt out we are because we're just so tired with the demands of Productivity, as Beth was saying, or or performing ourselves, uh, that we just we don't even have time to look up and see. Oh my God! Serious, serious things are happening, and so uh, all the more uh, prescient I think is this discussion of societal burnout, where this is not something that any of us are uniquely doing wrong, but this is something that is everywhere uh, in the atmosphere, uh, making it difficult. Um, uh, we have some special guests uh, for today to help us continue our conversation of burnout. I'm very excited for that. Um, and uh, w- uh, what we uh, what we talked about was doing a. Uh, a a series, uh, or an addition to our series, that is a therapist, a chaplain, and a pastor walk into a bar. And then you can insert whatever joke you like uh, there. Uh, So uh, uh, to begin today, I think we're going to be welcoming um, my friends, Brandy Lorenzell and Natasha Huang. I know these two friends of mine through a group uh, that does contemplative prayer together uh, every Wednesday. We've been doing this uh, online uh, from afar since well before the, the pandemic made the online thing cool. So it's kind of uh, it's, uh, it, it's, it, it's been a, a tradition of ours to meet every Wednesday together for a long time. Brandy is a therapist and a supervisor of other therapists in North Carolina. Natasha is a chaplain and educator of other chaplains in California. And I am so thrilled that they accepted my invitation to join us today to talk a little bit more about societal burnout. Uh, helper professions like Hours, therapists, chaplains, pastors, uh, or teachers, or healthcare workers, all those sorts of jobs, uh, are uniquely prone to burnout in their own way, but they also end up being the people that folks will come to when they are burnt out. And so there's a unique perspective uh, that can be offered from helper profession folks on this societal burnout. And I have some questions that I've brought to pose to these two. And, uh, and then if you have questions as we go, uh, you can Use our QR code uh, in uh, in Discord. Let me throw that back up for us here really quick. If you follow that uh, QR code that's on the screen, you can throw some questions in if you have any uh, that feel like they apply as we go along here. I want to start uh, with a question. Brandy, you are a practicing therapist and are around other therapists. And I wondered... Um, one of the things that you mentioned when we uh, talked about having this conversation today is that addressing societal burnout requires holding such a hard tension of, on one side, compassion and grace, and on the other side, responsibility and boundaries. And I wondered if you could speak to that for a little bit.
1: Yeah, I mean, as, as somebody who is supervising therapists, a conversation that we have to have often is, um, you as the therapist, Here's what you're responsible for, and anything that happens outside of that, you're not responsible for. And so I think um, when we're living in community with other people, um, we have to acknowledge, you know, in other relationships, we have to be really mindful that, um, you know, I'm I'm responsible for part of this relationship, but I'm not responsible for all of it. Um, and it makes me think about um, the times that I. I feel most burned out is um, in relationships where I feel like I'm giving more than the other person, or um, if we're really busy and I have to say no to an invitation, um, or if somebody says no to me because I invited them somewhere, um, and so I have to remind myself I'm responsible for for this much. And I'm not responsible for what's going on over here. And then when somebody um, can't follow through in the way that I want them to, to extend compassion and know, like, they're probably feeling the burnout right now. And the best thing that I can do for them um, is to be compassionate towards um, what's going on for them and, um, you know, respond in a supportive way
0: it's so difficult to do that benefit of the doubt giving because I, I feel like we're always kind of thinking like, I mean, how we, none of us can help but tell the story through our own eyes, right? And so we're constantly kind of feeling like, ugh, like uh, the, a, la- a, a couple of weeks ago one of, the, one of the beats that we went on of like, it's so hard to not take those things personally and it's so hard to be that, you know, give that sort of gracious open door, but also like holding really lightly if I don't or like, because we know we've been that person who've had to cancel sometimes, and we just, we just, oh, we can't pull out of it. How do we, are, are, there, are there some, like, tried and true tips in, sort of, in terms of, like, self-talk? Like, what are the things that we can each do to, for ourselves, Brandy, to, to help us hold that tension? Because it feels like, I, I mean, we don't want to be mean to each other, but we also, we have feelings, and uh, what do we do? It, it, it's tough.
1: Well, I think it's compassion towards the other person and compassion for ourselves, acknowledging the, the feelings that are happening, the disappointment, right? Like I'll give an example. My kid, one of my kids has a birthday party today and I think there's seven or eight that we invited and confirmed and we've already had two cancellations.
0: Yeah. So, yeah. so it even you know, happens to like young kids is what you're saying. <laughs>
1: <yeah>. <laughs> right. And it's multi-layered, right? Like I have to anticipate her feelings about it and I have my own feelings about it and then supporting her feelings about it while holding my feelings about it. Um, But extending like it is the sick, you know, people are, it's that time of year, people are getting sick. It's going to be really cold here um, for Asheville, (laughs) not compared to Chicago. Um, So I think acknowledging that I'm going to have my own experience of this disappointment, um, but also acknowledging that they're having their experience of why they're, they're canceling and knowing that, there's a like 95% chance that it's not personal. It's not personal. Um, They're having their own situation, which is why they're canceling. It has nothing to do with me. Um, And so I think that where you mentioned self-talk, there's some self-talk there around, I can have my own feelings and know that it's not personal for me. I think that's a big strategy.
0: Holding those two things at once. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. uh, Natasha, I would love to, I mean, if, if, you, if you have any comments sort of on, on what Brandy was just talking about, you can jump in on that too. But if I can, if I can pose a, another maybe related question, um, we've been talking about this concept uh, here with our church, sacred time. That is time that is, it's light on burdens. So it's like Jesus saying, come to me all you are heavy burdened and I will give you rest but it's heavy on, uh, on, on purpose and intentionality so it's not sped up like the rest of accelerated modern life, which is always burning us out. And so light on burden, but heavy on purpose. You sort of, when, when, we, when we were talking about this, you related that to our times together, where the three of us know each other on this weekly Zoom meeting, and, and that being an example of sacred time, a group of people meeting together regularly, um, when, when, and so there's a little bit of overlap there in terms of because a lot of times we all have to cancel and we have to do those kind of like giving each other the benefit of the doubt with what what do you have what, what can you say more about that?
2: Yeah, sure. Um, so when we were prepping for today um, I joked with uh, Vince and Brandy that um, it's just like us hanging out on Wednesday nights like we do every week but now with an audience. Yeah. And so <laughs> Um. So we're part of this uh, online group on Wednesdays and most of the time the three of us show up, but the days that we can't, there's always this text that goes out, Hey, my kid's sick or, Hey, I have an early morning meeting. And um, there's just this automatic graciousness of like, we love you when you're here and we love you when you're not here. And when Mm. you're not with us, Mm. we think of you, we, we include you in our prayers. We check in during the week, like often we'll say, cool, like, can we pray for anything this week? And so I think what happens in our little um, community that we share, the three of us and a couple other friends is um, there's like, I don't ever feel obligation to come and I don't feel pressured to come in a certain way. I can come like wherever I am in the day, that's kind of how I show up. Um, And, but the thing, I think the thing that really happens is we're so present to each other. Like that's what the heavy time is. We honestly don't, I don't think we meet for more than, you know, 40 minutes max sometimes, but when we're there, we just kind of attune to each other and say, Hey, what's going on? How are you doing? And then there's like, I just feel really held and listened to when we show up that way. And I try to do the same for, um, my friends and in that way, it's become this like checkpoint each week where, um, you kind of come as you are, but then, we come with intention to really hold space and be held and to know and be known. And then that's, that's it sort of like, it's kind of simple in a way it's like almost too simple, but that's what makes the burden light. It's like, literally that's it, but it's, it's really grounding.
0: There is. There's a fine line um, between um, over overburdening uh, an experience where it has a lot of things like uh, something that, that you end up classifying in your brain as responsibility or, or exhausting stuff or like more things that I have to, more, more uh, boxes I have to tick off my to-do list. Uh, there's a fine line between that and, you know, just like uh, us, us showing up uh, with... Great intention, great purpose, as you're saying, uh, and a willingness to be fully present, and those sort of accomplish all of the um, all of the needs, all of the prerequisites for us having uh, a connecting time. But I guess one thing that maybe is important to note is like that didn't happen immediately, right? Like we didn't we didn't have that right off the bat. Um, I wonder if, if if like if we can do a little bit of like searching back in the story of how we. How we got to the point where that time really feels sacred, um, I, I wonder what it would be for you two. I guess for me, I think it's um I think it's the good like uh, I was set up to like both of you because of the mutual connections that connected us. Does that make sense? like Brandy, another friend of ours, Erica, is the reason that I know you, and Natasha, another friend of ours, Dave, is the reason I know you, and that is like oh uh, i like i I was willing to take risks quickly with you all because of like because of, of uh, people I trusted making those connections and that, that, that asks something of me, right? Because like I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to choose to believe that you guys can be present with me and you guys can go there with me without having known that ahead of time but then the moment we start to you know, do it and then, and then those risks pay off that's when real connection is built. So I don't know, that, that's a little bit of, of where it is from my perspective. Do you all have different like, takes on how did we get to the point where our, our regular time is sacred? For, so like, suppose you're thinking about folks in our church like I would love to have that. That sounds great, but I feel like I don't have that. I'm far away from it.
1: I I have a quick thought. I was thinking uh, it was funny that you mentioned Eric, like Erica is the one of the connectors, and she's not in our group
0: anymore. Yes, that's right. That's right. <laughs> um, so Easy we've had off ramps is like kind of important to this to this sacred time too, right?
1: Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And I I and I was also trying to think as Natasha was talking like how have we Uh, created that space. And then you ended up asking a similar question. And I think that the thing that comes to mind, I don't know that this is the entire answer, but I think a lot of the answer is like a space of Mm -hmm. non-judgment. You know, we come across times where we're sharing personal things or ways that we messed up, or sometimes we're in deep, Theological conversations, and we realize, like, oh, we have slightly different
0: weird views Believe differently um, about this. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think I think we're all really intentional about presenting open mindedness and open handedness on issues. And when we share about something that we messed up on, like we're very supportive of e- of each other and compassionate. Um, and so, even for the folks that have made the decision to leave the group, I think all of us in one way or the other are still in touch with those folks and still supportive. And it wasn't like a, Oh, you're leaving our group. Or there wasn't any, like, if, as far as I know, any, like, uh, behind the back conversations with other group members of like, Oh, I can't believe. Only about
0: left. you, Brandy, not about those <laughs> things, just about you. Yeah.
1: Um, and I, I will also add personally, like, What contributes to my burnout is I'm like a high commitment person. And I'll be honest, like sometimes when people don't show up, especially multiple weeks in a row, I'm thinking to myself, like, are you even committed to this? And are you even here like for real? And I I have all of all of this talk in the back in my mind. And I have to quiet those things down like, and remind myself everybody's got stuff going on. Um, especially our our East coasters, you know, it's hard to hop on a zoom and be chatty at nine o'clock at night in the middle of the week. Um, So even though my first thought is probably sometimes judgment, I remind myself to follow it up with the more compassionate thoughts and the understanding. And um, yeah.
0: I so appreciate that permission. I think that um, one of the, maybe uh, sometimes this is a message that can be communicated in religious settings uh, is that um, if you are having feelings or thoughts that are not you know, the, the most wise or mature or loving or compassionate, you're a bad person. And I just think that what you just suggested is like totally cuts against that of like, well, how you act on those things does matter, but you having those thoughts, you going to judgment, does not make you a bad person, that makes you a human being. And so, but you know, then, then the, the, the question becomes, what do we do with that? And, and your idea of like reminding yourself, oh wait, you know, societal burnout, this, this, like, this is all around us. It is atmospheric, it is not personal, it is not this person being such a crappy committer even though I'm showing up and why aren't they showing up? It, it, there's, there's something more going on to the story that I can never know the fullness of being outside of that person's life. 100%. Yeah, Natasha, uh, what about you? Any, any, any thoughts of how we got to our group being sacred time?
2: I agree with Brandy that non-judgment is a cornerstone of the dynamic we have. And I think um, just curiosity too, Um, curiosity about one another around the things that matter, but also space for the other person to share what they want to share. So Hmm. I've sometimes been in some settings where people are really curious and they hammer me with like questions. And I just like don't feel like I can pace with that level of like, let me know you now. Right. And I think that's Ooh, another, yeah. yeah, that's another like mini burnout. Churches can real- do
0: that. Right. Cause like we, cause yeah. we're well-intentioned, but it's a little bit too oh intense. Right. Oh my
2: goodness. Yeah. Totally. It's like so intense. And it's like, that is like to me a mini Mac micro moment of burnout where they're like burning through questions. <laughs> like, <laughs> let me probe into your soul right now. And let's be like so authentic that we're so intense. Right. And it's like, no, just chill. Like, and I think one thing about our group, I really feel like we're really chill, but we're really intentional at the same time. And that's a really amazing balance of like, often I think a a lot of times we just say like, Hey, what do you, like, we, we pan to the next group and we say like, Hey, you know, what, what do you guys want to share? What was, what's on your heart? Instead of like me having a set list of questions that I want to know about Brandy or Vince's week, Mm. it's like, what's important to you? You get to share what's important to you. And I care enough to listen, but I'm also I also care enough to to ask because we're also not tiptoeing around hard things, right? Like if someone has brought up a hard thing, someone will follow up the next week.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. And we remember to. Yeah, and I, I feel as though that that's helpful to hold both of those in hand. The curiosity with, like, patience, I guess, is maybe a, a good, like, value that you're talking about there. That, because personality-wise, I mean, different people are going to need different things. I think that sometimes somebody will react more positively to a, a patient uh, group that's not, you know trying to pull the thread constantly when somebody's not ready, whereas others may react more positively to someone you know, taking initiative and asking a question, uh, a curious question, because they feel like, oh, they were longing to be asked about that thing. Um, so yeah, I mean, uh, holding those two things uh, does feel, yeah, that some, somehow we got there, and, and, and I, I don't know if there's, you know, like here's the three easy steps to a group that feels that way, but we, yeah, we, the, those, those seem like the values that we held to. Mm-hmm. Um, Brandy, if I can um, pose a uh, a, a therapist-specific question, maybe, for you. Um, I'm wondering if you can speak to the overlap of social anxiety and societal burnout. I know that you, as uh, a clinician, will have an understanding of anxiety as like a diagnosis, and that's different maybe than the way that most of us use the word anxiety in everyday language. But it's, it's a spectrum, right? And, um, I know that many in our church would identify themselves as socially anxious and they feel, and that comes to play in this idea of like, uh, wanting connection, desiring connection, but sometimes you just feel like you don't have it in you. And then that's debilitating and, and it feels like a vicious cycle. So I'm wondering if you can speak to that a little bit.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, anxiety is the, probably the number one clinical diagnosis that we, um, our um, of the folks that we're serving, um, we do mostly serve uh, uh, school age kids. We have some adults too, but mostly school age kids. Um, and the teenagers and middle schoolers, you know, uh, number one diagnosis is is anxiety. And I I think uh, over the next few years we'll see more and more research about how the pandemic has impacted social anxiety because um, it definitely feels like it's. Gone up, and the only explanation that I've really heard posed is just that like everybody got out of the habit of being uh, in in person in community with people, Um, and I hear it even from uh, other therapists' friends that they feel social anxiety. So I'm like, well, if y'all are feeling social anxiety, then it's got to be pretty prevalent for everyone else as well. I I think the biggest thing to remember about social anxiety, well, like so there's so much anticipation of like what's going to happen and what other people are going to say and what I'm going to say. And is it, is there going to be a moment of silence or awkwardness? Um, and how am I going to push through that? It's much easier, uh, via technology to account for pauses in the conversation. Whereas in real life,
0: it's, Oh, sorry. It was, yeah. yeah. Oh, it's so silly. Yeah. 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 We were
1: messaging and then I, I got distracted and, um, you know, needed a minute before I came back. Um, So every, everybody has this anticipation Mm. and we forget that the other person also has that anticipation. Yes. Yes. The other person on the other line Mm. is feeling the same social anxiety and isn't sure how it's going to go and isn't sure um, always what to say. So we kind of come back to that grace and compassion for ourselves, but also for the other person. If, if I'm not sure what to say, they might not be sure what to say either. And if we can just extend that to each other. Um, then we're going to have a better, um, a better experience. Um, and w- yeah, we just forget that the other person feels that way too. And I'll share a quick story. Um, a couple of weeks ago, I had planned some, uh, my husband and I have two kids and I had planned something with me and the two kids um, and another mom and their kids. So I told him, I was like, you should go, you should reach out to some of the other dads that we know and see if y'all can get together because they always get together with, with the moms present. Um, and so I was like, you should do this. And his response was that he's, he's uncomfortable. He doesn't know what to talk about with these guys and y'all he's known these guys for five years. We hang out with them like probably at least once a month for football yeah. games or holidays or yeah. whatever. And I was just dumbfounded that he wasn't <laughs> sure what to talk about with these guys that he's known um, for so long and gets along with, well, I watch him interacting and he seems just fine. So I, a couple weeks later, I go out with the moms I tell the moms this story about my <laughs> husband and every single person there said my husband has said the exact same thing. Yeah.
0: So we're and all I'm feeling like, the same thing but alone. Yeah.
1: But yeah. alone yeah. and telling one person instead of just, you know, um, you know, making the making the move to to reach out to other folks. And I think it's okay sometimes just to name it and just be like mm-hmm. Hey, I, we've never hung out just the just the guys without uh, without our wives present. So, like, this might be kind of weird. I don't know. Let's let's just see how it goes. I think um, being able to name it and call it out, and then also um, being willing to just give things a try and see how it goes.
0: Yeah, yeah. Natasha, you're nodding along. Did you have something to add there in particular?
2: I love the idea of naming something because that takes away um, the disconnection of like, I must be crazy or I must be the one that's, there's something wrong with me or, you know, but just to say, I don't know, I just feel this. And, and that, that willingness to say it out loud, I think decreases any shame or guilt that might be running, running amok in our own brains. And even if, other people don't resonate. And I think most of the time, other people do resonate, so it's not even like a high probability. But in the off chance that no one else in the room has ever felt that way, you're still letting people into how you feel. And that gives an opportunity for connection instead of assuming that we're not going to connect.
0: I I think that that's super advice. And I I think about something that a friend taught me years ago, and I've probably mentioned it here at church before, that... um, This friend said, leadership is being awkward so other people don't have to. And I just think that that is so dead on because there is so, there's so much avoidance of awkwardness. And and, and I think part of that has to do with this same like story that we've been talking about in this series of time speeding up. Awkwardness like slows down the train. And so, you know, you, you can't be awkward because if you're awkward, things fall apart and then you miss a stop and then, and then you're, you know, you're, you're behind on your to-do list. and Gosh, awkwardness, ooh, avoid it like the plague. But, like, there's a degree of, like, connection requires a little bit of, like, hey, I'm just gonna, like, oh, you know, I was kind of stupid, wasn't that, wasn't that dumb, you know, and you, and like, you, you just kind of go with it, you name it, and you say, like, wow, isn't it funny that we've known each other for five years, and we still don't feel like we can hang out together alone, like, without our, without our significant others, I think that that's, that, that, that's beautiful to, to take the awkward step, and then the, like, the, the pressure goes out of the room, and you're like, oh my gosh, I was thinking the same thing, and then you're off and running, right?
1: Exactly.
0: Good stuff, good stuff, that's great advice, um, uh, no, Natasha, uh, a question for you that's more chaplain-specific here. Um, thinking about your experience where you are, you're creating space for people to, to grieve, to, to process loss or, or massive change, and uh, as we talk about uh, the accelerated reality of modern life, it trains us to see those things like death or sickness or injury or trauma as disruptions, whereas... I think that, that your, your work sort of drives uh, or helps people to see those things as like the most important things that are ever going to happen to them. And so we, we must process these things well, not just see them as disruptions. And I, 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 wonder, um, I wonder what that like, what, what, is it, what does it look like? What does it look like to help people into that space when so much of our lives is training us to see them as disruptions?
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, that's so funny that, um, we were talking about how awkwardness stops time because I have to walk into a lot of situations that if it weren't my uh, job to walk into that yes. room, it would be so awkward. If I didn't have that badge that gave me permission, absolutely. How, how in the world would I walk into a room where someone is really sick or possibly has passed away and like start talking to their family members, right? That's the most awkward thing in the world. Um and so I still feel really awkward when I have to knock on the the door and slide the curtain and be like, may I come in? Right. And, um, but I think just being okay with not being the fixer mm. and not having the right things to say, if I just give myself permission to not fix things and not say the right things, then usually what I end up doing is I introduce myself as a chaplain that I'm here to, um, hold space and be with folks in times of distress. And a lot of times there's just this um, holding of space that is maybe like one or two words here or there, like, you know, did you drive from far away or how long were they in the hospital? Like seemingly small talk, but it's really intentional because it's about like, I'm here for you and I'm here with you. Yeah. and. There's a lot of silence, (laughs) like a lot of silence. And sometimes I have to just like breathe through it myself because as the person who's not grieving or not stressing, my sense of time is really fast, but for them it's heavier time because they're like, their brains cannot compute what literally just happened, right? And I think sometimes their body needs to be in the room to hear the machines or see the nurse come in or like you know, read the report or just like look at the person they love going through whatever they're going through to like even register what's happening. And so I think time really like slows down Mm. and because it's not slowing, because it's not my loved one and I'm the professional, like on a schedule, right? Because I have a load of patients. I have to really just enter into their time and like do time with them so that, the time can, so I have to like make my time a little heavier so that their burden can be lighter a little bit. Yes. Because it's like, if someone is holding the time with you, I think it's easier to like really experience the feelings. And so sometimes I'm just the like one hospital personnel in the room, um, standing there. And then I think that kind of gives the family a little bit of permission to like, let go. Right. Cause I'll let them know if the nurse needs something. I'll let them know if it's time to leave the room or, you know, whatever hospital restrictions are happening. I'll let them know. So they don't need to monitor that themselves. And so um, that, that I think is super important, not just mm. because it's like this beautiful raw human experience, but because I've often seen in the hospital that um, when one Moment of grief isn't like fully metabolized or digested and processed, it will like linger in someone's system and consciousness and family system. And if another incident occurs, a lot of times when someone's in the hospital for like a hip surgery, which by chaplaincy standards is like a light thing, yeah, right? Yeah, it's not not super,
1: yeah. yeah,
2: they're gonna go to rehab and go home most of the time, but sometimes. What we end up processing with that patient is the last time they were
0: in the Fascinating. Hospital. It's not about the hip surgery. No. It's about what happened years ago when such yes. and such. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And so, you know, you can, I think we have a choice to either hold the time in a heavy, grounded, sacred way now or to keep carrying it for a long time. Yes. Um, In a way that can, not to say we never bring something with us like in a sacred way like we never leave it behind but um do we do we carry it as something that grounds us in our human experience or is it like this this burden that we haven't unpacked
0: yep yep and you know thinking about the way how how challenged um that reality of like making sure that we are used we're metabolizing these things that have happened to us in the past that's another thing that is really difficult when um, our everyday, uh, day in, day out of modern life is so about uh, keeping up and uh, and, make, and uh, you know, adjusting with, with constant change and making sure that you're you know, like d- uh, dotting all your I's and crossing all of your T's or else, that keeps us focused on uh, all of those demands that are, are, are about our future rather than about these things that we might be bringing with us, whether they've metabolized or not. It, it's hard for us to maybe take along the things that we have learned and have metabolized, but it's also especially dangerous when... Because of that focus, we don't recognize that when we're in a place forcibly slowed down, like we just had hip surgery or, you know, somebody's in the hospital and so we're just sitting in a room and there's nothing we can do about it, suddenly we realize like all these things are catching up to us and we have not m- worked that stuff through us. Mm-hmm. So it's just kind of a, a reminder of like, wow, like this, we, we, we have to work into our lives times that we can peel our, our, our sight and our focus off of those heavy demands, uh, but light time. Mm-hmm. Um, I just I want to mention a few things that are in the chat here for you two um, before maybe some uh, final closing words, and I wonder, I wonder what you think about uh, some of the things that were mentioned here. First off, um, uh, when we were talking about that balance of compassion but also holding boundaries and responsibility, um a couple of people were mentioning uh Ben in particular was mentioning the uh using and instead of but like as a language tick. um is that something y'all have been familiar? I see you guys nodding is that a good one yeah
1: mm-hmm. oh for sure yeah i i'm upset with you and i understand why you did that yeah mm-hmm. so
0: good so good so i la- uh, that, that was a good one to flag um another thing that i'm seeing here is there's specific mention i don't know as, as perhaps this is more um this more puts me on blast, but there's specific mention of like uh, men and the way men are socialized in our culture have a really hard time with what we were talking about, how we got to a point where our group felt like sacred time. And certainly mm-hmm. your story speaks to that, Brandy. Um, but I, I don't know, like uh, you, you two as, as helper professions, can, can you speak to those you've been around? Does that feel true in the way that men are socialized versus, versus people who are not men?
1: It feels very true to me and I'm so curious how the younger generations are gonna handle
0: that. That's that's an interesting question. And I, I'd be curious if you're if you are uh sort of like Gen Z or a younger millennial in our church, I wanna hear your thoughts on this. Do you feel like this still holds true? Keep going, Brandy. Because,
1: well, because I feel like I feel like it's such a known thing in our in our culture that men are are typically like not initiators are kind of, you know, going along with what their partners are doing. Um, and there's like some heteronormativity, um, underlying that as well. Um, Mm -hmm. but yeah, I'm curious if yeah, millennials and older know this. So what are the younger generations and the younger men doing differently or Mm. not?
0: That's a great question. So, uh, open question for our church. I genuinely want to hear. So please tell us or reach out to me. Uh, Natasha, did you have any thoughts on that?
2: I'm just also curious about that.
0: Yeah. 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 yeah.
2: Fascinating.
0: I, uh, if, if anybody wants a laugh on this, uh, SNL had a sketch called man park a few years back, which is just hysterical on this front. And so you should, you should enjoy the rest of your day and watch the SNL sketch man park later today. Um, (laughs) uh, as we're, um, as we're kind of, Moving to final thoughts here, I'm wondering, we, you know, we're, we're, as a church, you you two know that we are talk. We're trying to hold this ground of like, burnout is a societal problem, not a f- problem with fringe individuals. We've talked about a lot of things that we as individuals can do to help ourselves. You know, be, sort of be a part of the the solution, not the problem. You know, so to speak, and I think that matters. But I'm wondering if you, like, you all uh, have the opportunity now to, like, speak into a community of people that's trying their best to build out experiences of sacred time, you know? And w- sometimes we're better at it, and sometimes we're worse at it, and sometimes we're feeling it, and sometimes we're not. How do you, like, we are, uh, w- what, what are your parting words to a community that wants to uh, address societal burnout in a way that doesn't add more burdens to individual shoulders?
1: I have a thought unless you're ready to go Natasha. You can go. Um I the biggest thing that I would like to say is to lower your expectations. Lower Either your it, it might be of yourself and it might be of the people around you, you know like you, we might go uh, to a gathering and, you know, we run out of plates or we run out of food or you go to the church service and, you know, the technology isn't working or the coffee runs out. Or, um, you know, like I, um, I'm i sure we've all been in a fast food line and seen somebody get super upset because their Big Mac took a while to, to get. Um, yes. But even yeah. just like one on one, if somebody has to cancel or... Um, I'm a big like we have a lot of gatherings, and I will like totally judge people who don't bring like homemade food, like stuff from the <laughs> pre-made stuff from the grocery
0: store. And my brandy, we're getting be, an image into your self-talk. Like this is good. Thank you for being so vulnerable.
1: I just want uh, everybody. You know, I want to like connect with everybody. I assume other people feel the oh, same. Oh, we're all doing.
0: Uh, don't lie. You all are doing this.
1: <laughs> so it's a reminder to myself as much as it is for anybody else. But like, let's let's just like lower the expectation and the um lower the burdens that we're putting on other people, um, you know, to show up and be 100% all the time, every time.
0: And I want to name that you are saying that with a tone of compassion and not with a tone of cynicism. And I think that matters. That matters the way that you're delivering that. Yeah. Mm Yeah. Totally. Natasha, what about you?
2: Yeah. I, um, so I've heard you talk sometimes about open and relational um, theology events. And so one of the like things about that that struck me when i was thinking about this was and this is not my phrasing this is like you know what other people have said but like god is relational and the future is open yeah and it's like wait if the future is open then we don't have to think about the future as a deadline and when we don't think yeah. about the future as a deadline that totally changes my like my heart just like relaxes a little bit instead of like like my heartbeat is keeping time. It's like, oh, like now I can like. Love that. Can I breathe? Wow. Like, and then then I can like really see the person in front of me instead of them being like something I have to check off on my nice. way to some deadline that like, I don't know if I'm going to meet, right? So yeah, I don't know, just this idea like, and then God is with me in that moment and the future is open. So we're kind of like gazing out to the horizon together instead of like, God is the deadline over there, and like yes, I there, yes, right? God's like right here with me.
0: I love this. I love this. Um, I think I think it is so important. We we often use the phrase uh, God as our fellow experiencer, and Jesus really showing us this that uh, whether we're talking about the ministry of Jesus and Jesus being among the masses, among the working class peoples, uh, living uh, a, a normal life of the masses, not an elite, you know, removed experience. Or we are talking about Jesus on the cross in that most pivotal of moment of suffering, Jesus is there fully present and not running away from the hardest things in life and demonstrating like God is not, yeah, out in, out in, out in the future with a deadline. God is here with us in those most difficult experiences. Um, yeah, I, just, I, I think in terms of the way that faith can maybe help with some of these practices, faith can help with that self-talk. If our vision of God is out in the future as a deadline, that's only going to add more to the burdens, but if our vision of God is this fellow experiencer with us, then we have a completely different way into uh, why pray when I am feeling burnt out? Why pray when I'm feeling longing for connection but I feel stuck because I just don't have it in me to show up to that thing? God shows up in an entirely different way uh, when we're praying in that place. Well. Y'all, I'm so thankful. This was so cool. Um, I, we're, I'm grateful that our church gets to hear from two people that I have really grown to respect and love. And uh, Natasha, I wonder, could you pray over uh, Brownline Church as we close today?
2: Sure. Um, if you feel comfortable, feel free to breathe in what you just absorbed and breathe out anything your body's feeling. God, I thank you so much for Brandy and Vince and our shared spaces of sacred time that the three of us get to experience with each other. And I thank you that um, we've gotten to do that together now with Brownline Church and the sacred time that they get to experience um, in person um, on their end. And I ask that... um, whatever felt good about today would sink into our bodies as a feeling that we can savor and kind of call up again when we hit Monday tomorrow or whenever the next feeling of a deadline comes up, that something in us can just say, Hey, remember that feeling of sacred time you had earlier? Uh, Can we kind of keep in touch with that (laughs) as we have to manage whatever's in front of us? And um, I just, ask for what Brandy was reminding us of in terms of um, being generous to one another and extending compassion. Um, We just receive that as something that we can receive and give to other people um, because we have a God who also gives and receives generously. So um, be with us for the rest of this day. And we ask all this in your name.